Hello, and welcome to another installment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of The White Fist. A young man named Adulio has made a deal with Zoraida the Swamp Hag in order to win the affection of Lupita, a beautiful flower seller. But by the time Adulio arrives at Camagin Square to profess his love, he finds Lupita gone, taken by a guild official named Ermin Follop. We pick up the story in Follop's office. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of The White Fist. He was still in excruciating pain. Touching the tender bulb of his nose with his fingertips, he could feel it had swollen dramatically and had turned a purplish-red hue in the hand mirror he continually examined the damage with. The hornet sting had somehow managed to get him inside the nostril and the stinging had left his eyes bloodshot with tears. Cursing his luck, he tried to turn his attention back to the work on his desk, but his mind kept returning to the flower girl. How dare she laugh at him, after all the generosity he had shown her? Well, she wouldn't be laughing now, not down in the detainment cells. A few nights in one of those dank, brutal holes would knock some of the vim out of her. He was certain she would be much more hospitable to his advances after that. He had already speculated on a few of the ways she could demonstrate her gratitude when he deigned to release her. His speculations were interrupted by an urgent rap on his door. What? He snapped. The door opened, and his personal aide stepped tentatively into the room. Caravelle had always had an apologetic look about him, an abject quality that irritated Follop to no end. He looked particularly aggrieved today. I'm sorry to trouble you, Mr. Follop, only there's a young gentleman out here, and he's most insistent that he speaks with you at once. Send him away, the guild officer grumbled. I'm busy. Before Caravelle could say another word, a figure pushed past him and into the office. This newcomer Follop did not recognise. He wore a cheap suit and too much pomade, but he looked hale and sturdy, and there was a stubborn set to his jaw that the guild officer didn't like the look of. I'm sorry to bust in on you, sir, but I must speak to you, the boy said. He straightened his jacket in a self-conscious way, but there was a fierce determination in his gaze that suggested he was here with definite purpose. This can't wait. Can't it indeed, Follop commented dryly. He gave Caravelle a glower that said I'll deal with you later and told him, this young man has one minute, after which I want him removed. Caravelle nodded and hurried out of the office. Follop turned his gaze on the nervous boy. Well, I'm here about Lupita. He blurted at once. Ah, the flower girl. Follop leaned back in his chair and began to re-examine his injured nose in the vanity mirror. And you're her brother, I suppose. No, I'm... The boy looked suddenly awkward. I'm... Well, Lupita is with me. We're together. Is that so? Follop prodded his nose delicately. She's never mentioned you. I must say, you don't seem the type she would associate with. 
He looked at the boy over the rim of his mirror. At all. The boy coloured at this, but he held his ground. Definitely determined, Follop noted, but out of his depth. So, the guild officer continued, you're here to plead for her release, are you? The boy didn't answer at once. He was looking closely at Follop's face. Did she do that to you? Now it was Follop's turn to colour. She assaulted an officer of the guild, if you must know. She attacked you. Lupita. The boy sounded incredulous. I don't believe it. Follop's hackles began to rise. I couldn't care less what you believe. She'll be tried before the local magistrate and given a fitting sentence like all the other criminals who think they can cross the guild. The boy was silent again for a moment, his face frowning with concentration. You're lying, he said at last. I beg your pardon, Follop spluttered. The arrogance of this boy was astounding. You're lying, the boy said, his conviction growing. She never touched you. The people in the square say you were making inappropriate advances towards her and she rejected you. You stormed off and that's why. Follop lurched to his full height, which was unimpressive. How dare you, he barked. What gives you the right to come here into the inner sanctum at the guild and start bandying about tin-pot theories you heard in the gutter? You are a liar, the boy shouted back, jabbing a finger at the smaller man. What have you done with her? I've had quite enough of this nonsense. Guards, where is she? The boy demanded. Guards, Follop cried again. There was a rumble of heavy feet and his door burst open for the second time that day to admit two men in guild uniform. They took a moment to survey the situation. Arrest this fool and take him down to the detainment cells. He just threatened an officer of the guild. The boy made no attempt to defend himself from the advancing men, keeping his gaze and his pointing finger fixed on Follop. Where is she? He persevered. If anything... His features had become more determined. Get him out of here, Follop commanded, his voice still steady, although his heart had begun fluttering nervously. The guards took hold of the boy's cheap suit and hauled, but evidently he was stronger than he looked and leaned over the man's desk like a man walking into a strong wind. Lupita is mine, Follop, he shouted. Give her back to me. Get him out of here. Follop cried more shrilly this time. He's gone mad. Let her go, you lying weasel. The boy struggled against the two guards. His suit jacket tore and his daisy, fresh plucked that morning, spiraled to the floor. Let her go. One of the guards managed to get an arm around the boy's neck from behind and was trying to haul him backwards away from the guild officer. What troubled Follop the most was that the boy did not fight back. Instead, he strained against the two men, trying to get through them, reaching now with one open hand to get at his true opponent. Guards! Guards! There was real fear in Follop's voice now. Come quickly, he means to murder me! Let her go! The boy was still bellowing. Lupita is mine! 
there was more running in the corridor outside, and another three men came barreling into the office. They quickly grasped the situation and went to subdue the shouting boy. The thwarted lover, however, would not be denied, and suddenly lunged forward with ferocious strength. His suit jacket and shirt ripped apart in a dozen hands, and he momentarily burst free. He reached clear across the desk and grabbed Follop by the throat. The guild officer made a gargling sound, and his eyes bulged as the boy throttled him one-handed. Though he struggled, he could get no purchase on the brawny arm, and the fingers around his throat felt like an iron collar. Kill him, he tried to shout, but all that came out of his mouth was, <coughs> The guards redoubled their efforts, gripping the attacker's arm, and even trying to pry his fingers from around Follop's throat but to no avail. The boy was as muscular as a young bull and possessed an unnatural strength. It felt like Follop's windpipe was being crushed. One of the guild guards drew his clockwork pistol and struck the boy heavily on the back of the head. The sound was awful, but his assailant's gaze did not falter, and if anything, his grip grew tighter. Boy's mad, grunted another. Him again! The guard struck the boy again with the heavy cast-iron pistol, and then a third time. Blood trickled down the back of his neck, but he would not relinquish his grip. Lupiter is mine, he hissed at the guild officer. Follop's eyes felt the size of hen's eggs, and he stared distractedly at the boy's arm while the life was being throttled out of him. There was a woven black band around the wrist that seemed strangely familiar, but Ermin couldn't quite place where he'd seen it before. It was becoming a triviality, really. Had he known it at the time, his oxygen-starved brain was on the verge of blacking out. It was right at that moment that Guild Captain Groom stormed into the office, a swaggering mass of brass buttons, waxed moustache and outraged demeanour. What is the meaning of this farce? He roared before catching sight of the scrum of struggling guardsmen and the puce-faced follop whose toes had all but lifted from the ground. Ever the pragmatic man, Groom drew his sabre with a practised motion, bellowed, Stand aside, that man, at the guard trying to peel back the boy's fingers, and sliced the attacker's hand off at the wrist with a single stroke. Follop flew backwards into his chair, landing with a thud as the boy went the other way, propelled by a half-dozen struggling guardsmen. Blood splattered the length of his desk. Get that lunatic out of here, the captain urged, rooting in his pocket to find a kerchief to wipe his blade. He turned his attention to Follop and stopped in mid-stride. God's teeth! Follop had sunk deep into his leather chair, but his face had lost none of its rude colouring, and his mouth was now agape with a swollen tongue projecting like a length of raw steak. The mad boy's hand, sporting its thin leather band around a stub of wrist, was still latched around the guild officer's neck and was constricting visibly. The captain threw down his sabre and launched himself at the severed appendage, taking it in both hands and hauling with all his might. The hand refused to relinquish its grip, and now even the faintest squeak of air could not be drawn through Follop's crushed throat. Finally, with a titanic effort and a polished boot on Follop's chest, the captain wrenched the severed hand free and threw it across the room with a cry of disgust. 
Follop immediately sucked in a huge gale of air and began violent, racking coughs. The guards had dragged the still-struggling boy to the door, leaving a trail of bright blood on the floorboards. Lupita is mine! The boy howled one last time, before being dragged out of sight into the corridor. His protests could still be heard as he was hauled away. Follop had no strength left in his limbs, and slouched in his chair like a landed fish while his chest heaved in breath after breath of precious air. There were red furrow marks on his throat, where the hand's nails had gouged him in the final seconds before Captain Groom was able to pry it loose. On the floor in the far corner of the room, now bled white as milk, the twitching hand curled into a tight and defiant fist. When he had recovered sufficient poise and dignity, Follop thanked the guild captain in a hoarse whisper and decided that taking the rest of the day off might not be a bad idea. He gingerly stepped over the sweeping trail of blood on his floor that several cleaners were already on their knees scrubbing at with stiff bristled brushes and soapy water. As he left the office, he heard the dull clank of the severed hand being dropped in a bucket, and he shuddered. Not trusting his rubbery legs to see him home, he hailed a cab and sat in brooding silence with the curtains closed, listening to the sounds of the street and the iron-shod wheels on cobbles while his fingers probed at the painful welts around his neck. Follop's home was one of the upper floors of a prestigious apartment block less than a mile from the guild offices. The entrance vestibule was guarded by twin stone griffins rearing on their hind limbs and clawing at some invisible foe. They were as storm-ravaged as the rest of the building's exterior. One griffin's beak was partly snapped off, and the porous stone had long since turned black with accumulated lichen and soot. Beyond the lacquered maple doors and concierge was an elaborate entrance vestibule paved with diagonal black-and-white tiles, a massive residence correspondence rack with a pigeonhole for each of the 300 abodes, and the elevator. This fabulous device had been one of the very first installed in the city and was quickly renowned as a mechanical wonder. Through cunning use of huge steam-driven pistons and a series of drive chains, the brass box, which held a full six patrons quite comfortably, could be elevated to any of the building's twelve floors with the simple twist of a mother-of-pearl lever. Follop was especially grateful for its ingenuity that afternoon in that he did not have to trust his shivering legs on the eleven flights of stairs that led to his apartment. Finally home, he slammed the heavy outer door and locked it, threw his hat and coat onto the stand and stumbled into his study. He poured himself a generous measure of brandy with trembling fingers and bolted it down in three swallows. The alcohol caused his raw throat to flare up, but it steadied his nerves some. He had been badly shaken by the events of that morning and was feeling particularly vulnerable. Still, at least he was home safe and that savage was behind bars where he belonged. Picking the softest, lightest neckerchief he possessed, he wrapped it gently around his purpling throat and went to the larder. He wasn't hungry, but his pocket watch told him it was midday and the same lunch break for thirty years was a difficult impetus to ignore. He cut himself several slices of cured ham and loaded a plate with bread and cheese and a square of butter. 
the food was tasteless and dry, and after two bites he gave up, returning instead to the liquor cabinet and more brandy. Suitably fortified, Follop went through to his study and settled behind his desk, spreading the day's broadsheet across its felt surface. There was a curious reassurance to be had from sitting behind a desk in any situation. In general, the bigger the better. Comforted by this subtle reinforcement of his importance, he settled down to read. Follop awoke shrieking. The crumpled newspaper partially adhered to his face with saliva. He tore it away, panting in terror. The boy was gone. His study was quite empty, and late afternoon shadows stretched across the far wall. He must have dozed off. Not surprising, really, considering those two large measures of brandy and no food in his stomach. He could still feel the ghost of a strong hand around his throat, and swallowing was painful. On the way to the kitchen for a glass of water, he stopped at the hall mirror and pulled aside the neckerchief. The flesh around his throat was livid and hot to the touch. He could clearly see a negative image of a grasping hand outlined in mottled purple and yellow. That animal. Follop would see to it he never saw the light of day again. He gulped down a glass of water from a cool clay jug. It helped considerably, and he began to feel himself again. The discarded meat and bread were still lying on their plate. His stomach gurgled with sudden interest. In light of the day's events, however, he decided to treat himself to something a little more sophisticated. The cab ride to La Signataire was quick, and Follop's mood was buoyed further by the doorman's recognition, welcoming him into the exclusive restaurant with a tip of his hat. Although there was a sizable queue for seating, Follop was quickly ushered by the maitre d'hôtel to a table secluded from the majority of diners by palm fronds and careful lighting. Looking up from his wine list, Follop took pleasure in seeing those same faces of the queue frowning at him. He ordered duck and a Spanish Grand Reserva and settled back to wait, smiling insolently at the people who were still waiting to be seated. Being a guild officer certainly had its privileges. When the fowl arrived, it was crisp and steaming and juicy, and he eagerly forked a big piece into his mouth. It tasted better than it smelled, and he silently congratulated himself on his choice of restaurant, an excellent and savoury distraction from the day's unpleasantness. He had quite recovered himself. The food stuck halfway down his throat, Follett paused in the act of forking another piece of breast into his mouth. The meat was certainly succulent enough, and he could never remember having trouble swallowing before. He could still breathe, but the meat formed an uncomfortable lump somewhere behind his Adam's apple, and seemed unwilling to go any further. Supposing some wine would help, he put down his laden fork and took a swallow of red. To his alarm, his gullet immediately filled with liquid. Trying not to gag, Follop tried gulping several times to force the blockage down. Other than making odd croaking sounds at the back of his throat, the duck and wine refused to move. With panic rising in his chest and absurdly conscious of the diners around him, he tugged at the neckerchief that suddenly felt too constrictive and began working his neck from side to side. The wine had been a mistake and was stinging the back of his throat making his eyes water. Tears began to well up in the corners of his eyes. 
reaching for his water glass. He took a big mouthful, determined to gulp it down and ram the wedge of duck into his stomach. Instead, the mix of wine and water backed up in his throat, and with a huge barking cough, he sprayed the liquid all over his dinner and the white table linen. Heads twisted his way as Follett began retching uncontrollably, gripping the sides of his table and half-rising from his seat like a man who couldn't quite make up his mind whether he was arriving or leaving. The maitre d'hôtel was already hurrying towards him through the maze of tables, his face a picture of professional anxiety as Follop's face turned puce for the second time that day. With a huge donkey-like bray, Follop ejected the wad of masticated duck that flew posthumously a full thirty feet and stuck to the restaurant wall with an audible thud. He collapsed back in his seat, coughing harshly and fumbling for a napkin to mop at the wine-laced spit coating his chin. There was an immediate hubbub of conversation as a flock of concerned waiters surrounded his table. I'm fine, I'm fine, Follop wheezed as soon as he was able, fighting off the swarm of towels and napkins that daubed at his face and stained suit. Leave me be, I say. Monsieur Follop, I am so sorry, the maitre d'hôtel babbled. The cook should be sacked for this. I shall see to it immediately. Follop shook his head, suddenly weary and growing lightheaded from the hyperventilation. Just get me a cab he croaked. As they helped him to the door, he glowered at the still-weighted faces of the queue. They beamed at him with the air of people whose weight had been worth the while after all. All the way home in the cab, Follop wheezed. His breathing had become laboured shortly after retching up the duck plug and had not eased with his pulse. Slightly anxious, he twisted and fidgeted in his seat, pulling constantly at his neckerchief until he wrenched it off in annoyance and threw it on the cab floor. He carelessly thrust a handful of scrip into the cabbie's hand and hurried into his building. Cool water, that's what he needed. His already abused throat must have become inflamed from the wine, and what it needed now was something cold and soothing. He cursed that meddling boy back through ten generations as he barged past the elevator operator, slammed his front door and gulped water straight from the jug, spilling it down his already half-ruined evening suit. Rasping, he took the jug through to his study and sat heavily, pulling off his starched collar and opening the top button of his shirt. His throat felt incredibly raw, both inside and out. More swallows of water eased the discomfort to some extent, but within seconds the burning returned, and with it an uncomfortable tightness in his chest. He could hear his own breath whistling, which was a distressing sound. That damnable boy. Curse him to the lowest depths of hell. He'd done something to Follop's throat, wounded him in some way. He made a mental note to visit the guild physician first thing in the morning. Exhausted and in pain, Follop shirked off his evening suit, crawled into a nightshirt and then into bed, holding the clay jug to his chest like a wizened child and his bedtime toy. Sleep. That was what he needed. Sleep to unwind from the stress of this miserable day. Tomorrow would be better. He felt certain of it. Follop's night was filled with terrors. He jerked awake innumerable times, the first time sloshing the remnants of the cold water over himself and the bedclothes, thrashing at his attacker, 
and trying to pry that white hand from his throat. He could feel the fingers around his neck squeezing remorselessly. Each time he returned to sleep, the boy's face came at him out of the dark and those steel fingers closed on him again, squeezing the breath out of him, crushing the life out of him. Lupiter is mine, he hissed, his teeth red as blood and his eyes empty holes. Sometimes the hand was green and puffed with decomposition. Other times it was just bones. But each time it would grip him like before and throttle him until his eyes bulged and his tongue squeezed out from between his lips like a fat red slug. Please, he tried to plead. Please, no, forgive me. But he could never speak in his dreams. The phantom of the white fist would not allow it. By the first grey threads of dawn, Follop had crawled out of bed and lay on the floor, wrapped in sheets and too afraid to venture sleep again. Instead, he watched the slow blossoming of the new day while his chest worked for air and the phantom fingers around his throat gradually and inexorably tightened their grip. Every few seconds he would raise a hand to swat at the hand, only to find his fingers passing through thin air and his neck unmolested. Yet he could feel it. The concierge's cheerful grin faltered when Follop emerged from the elevator that morning. Unshaven and grey-faced with his suit collar splayed wide, the guild officer walked with the slow infirmity of the aged, using a hand to steady himself as he took the steps down to the street one at a time. He couldn't manage more than a dozen paces before running out of breath, and stood making a high keening sound while he dragged in one lungful after another. Unable to face the suffocating crowds of Curmudgeon Square, he whispered for the cabbie to take him around to one of the underground entrances to the guild offices, and there he waited until a guard appeared that he could requisition to help him into the building. The guild physician frowned as he worked towards a diagnosis, peering critically into Follop's throat and feeling around his jawline, which made the little man wince and shy away repeatedly. He took the guild officer's temperature and listened to his pulse and to his heart, before frowning more deeply. Well, he said eventually, it may be an inflammation of the digestive glands under the tongue. I'm going to prescribe you a poultice that should take the colour out of those bruises. Follop gripped the man's white coat and yanked him forward with what little strength he still possessed. I don't care about the bruises! He rattled, I need to breathe. The physician recoiled, his wire-rimmed glasses askew. Of course, of course. He fumbled at his physics station for some time, rattling glasses and vials until he finally produced a small stoppered bottle. The smoked glass held perhaps an ounce of liquid and had a cork stopper. If you put five drops of this in a glass of water three times... Follop snatched the bottle from the physician's hand, wrenched out the cork and upended it, grimacing as he gulped down the foul-tasting liquid. The empty bottle was discarded, and Follop leaned back against the wall, rasping for air. A minute passed, while the physician waited awkwardly, but Ermin felt no easing of the constriction around his throat. If anything, it was growing tighter. How soon? He hissed. The... The effects should be immediate. 
the physician stammered. Follop snarled and shouldered past the practitioner, weaving unsteadily out into the corridor. His chest was working like a bellows now, and frothy saliva was beginning to accumulate at the corners of his mouth. He could barely swallow, and every effort brought intense pain. What was happening to him? Was he going to die? Was there no respite from this awful affliction? His face crumpled with grief as he staggered along the dark corridors, leaning first on one wall and then the other as he reeled. The white hand, the white hand had him in its clutches. He could see it with his waking eyes, forming a crushing fist on the floor of his office. It had him, and it would not let go. Lupiter is mine, a voice snarled in his head. He stopped, clinging to a cabinet for support, his head buzzing with lack of air. The girl, was that the answer? Was that the key to his salvation? That boy, that monster, had wanted the girl. He had refused to let go until he got the girl. He had refused to let go until he got the girl. Staggering again, but with new purpose, Follop turned about and headed for the detention cells. It was a desperate and forlorn hope. But if releasing them both to be reunited would save him from this terrible curse, he would do it, and gladly. He would apologise to them both, would make them understand how lonely and unloved he was, how wrong he had been to abuse his power. But he could make amends. It was not too late. A frail hope formed in his chest, even as he stumbled and toppled down the winding steps to the lowest levels, every breath a struggle now. He clung to the rusted iron railing, half sliding down the stairs in his exhaustion, they would forgive him. Surely they would. Surely they could see they had been the actions of a jealous old fool. He had meant no real harm. He could give them their freedom, even money if they desired it. They would be together, and Follop would be released. He crashed into the detention cells like a marionette, one hand latched around his throat, the other scratching along the rough stone wall, seeking anchorage to prevent him toppling full length on the straw floor his face contorted horribly with every intake of breath, which came as a slow, high rattle, like a breeze blowing through something dried up and dead. The jailer gawped at this apparition, not even recognising Follop until he had gripped the man by the shoulder and hissed at him through gritted teeth. The girl, came his faint voice. Logs and truths, the jailer whispered. Is, is that you, Mr Follop, sir? Girl, he hissed again, his eyes protruding dangerously. Where? Girl, sir? The jailer chewed his thumb in thought until his face brightened. Oh, the girl, that pretty bit of fluff you sent down here yesterday. Well, she's gone, isn't she, sir? Off to the magistrate, just like you said. Follop made a sound, somewhere between whine and sob. No matter, he told himself, no matter. She would be days at the court jail before her trial, more than enough time for the wheels of bureaucracy to intervene. Oi! Boy! He gurgled, making a gripping motion with his free hand. The other was being used to keep himself upright against the burly jailer. Don't you worry, Mr. Follop, the jailer said, giving the guild officer a wide grin. He won't be troubling you no more. Follop's face creased with confusion, 
What was this fool talking about? Where was the boy? Where? Came the barely audible wheeze. He's gone, sir, the jailer said amiably. Dead. Bollop could only stare into the idiot's puffy, unshaven face. Died about an hour after they dragged him down here, sir, the jailer continued, oblivious to Follop's collapsing expression. Noisy bugger. They threw him in that cell right there and left him. Not for the likes of him to have his wounds seen to, not after what he'd done. Laying his hand on a gentleman such as yourself, sir. Got what he deserved, in my opinion. The jailer's voice began to echo and distort. Follop's knees buckled and he slumped back against the wall and then slid down it until he sat facing the row of bare, grotty cells. There was a large brown stain in the straw of the cell directly across from him. It was over, he realised with a strangled sob. There was now no way to reunite Lupita with her love. The boy had cursed him. He had cursed Follop with his final moments, and there was no way to undo what had been done. There was nothing left to save him from the vengeance of the White Fist. That's it for another instalment of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.